Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm your host, Fish Foster, joining Mr. Christian Brewer. Christian, happy Monday after week two. How are you feeling? Uh, I'd be feeling better if we didn't have all this rain going on right now. Uh, the weather's kind of been a bummer lately, but, uh, you know, in the world of sports, things are going really well, so it's been fun. Right on. Now, joining us, making his Unsportsmanlike Conduct de debut, is our good friend, Mr. Producer Aaron Gamble. Producer Aaron, welcome yeah. to the show, my friend. How are you doing this fabulous Monday? I'm doing good. It's, just, it's an honor to be here with you guys um, doing this. First time doing a different uh, podcast that's different from my own. Um, so I'm just, I'm very excited. I'm excited to talk whatever is popping. And uh, yeah, let's just get ready to it. I wish, like uh, like Richard said, I wish this uh, this rain would just go away. I'm sick of this. Seriously. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's kind of a gloom on a like, September afternoon. But going to the NFL, um, boys, it's been a crazy week. Two, we'd be looking for the Monday night game with the Packers and Lions. So we can't talk Lions yet, really. But who wants to go first? Just what was your biggest takeaway from Week Two so far? I, I can go first. Man, does John Harbaugh have balls? That was awesome watching that. And you know, as a football fan, you always want to see the high risk type play in that situation. And I think they were on their, like their own forty-one yard line, where if you don't get that, you lose the game. Uh, but they went for it, and as somebody who has Harrison Bucker on their fantasy team, I was a little bummed out we didn't see the game-winning field goal, but at the same time, I'm not too upset about it as a football fan, uh, so that was awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, just from my perspective, watching that game, I'm glad in one of my keeper leagues, I have uh, Mahomes, Marquise Brown, Justin Tucker, and Travis Kelsey all last night. Yeesh. Thank you very much. Whoa. Especially Kelsey's touchdown, that's pretty fun. Uh, Aaron, what's, Aaron, what's your kind of game that you, you took away from? Probably Thursday night's game with Washington and New York that Washington is actually looking like an actual contender in the NFC East um, in a division that is subpar for the past couple of years. But, you know, just the way that Taylor Heineke threw the ball uh, in, in his start because Brian Fitzpatrick's out for about eight weeks, which is a real bummer to see. But, you know, just seeing uh, Heineke throw the ball 45 times, which I think is a little too much. A little bit too much. I think Gibbs, I think there's no reason Antonio Gibson should not have over 20 carries every single game. Uh, you know, it really irritates me too when they bring in J.D. McKissick because they know they're going to throw the ball, you know. So, yeah, I really I like Washington's performance squeaking that out at the end. And also the way the Titans went into Seattle yesterday in overtime and won that after being down so much. Derrick Henry actually woke up from being non-existent from last week. Um, so having over 300 yards, three touchdowns, that was a really good day for my fantasy team, over 47 points. <laughs> so, you love to see it. For me, uh, two games. Uh, one, I think, well, before I get too far, what I say last week about Taylor Heineke, respect Taylor Heineke. Just going to throw that out there. <clears throat> but two big takeaways. One, the Minnesota Vikings had a chance to walk into Arizona and beat the Cardinals. And once again, <laughs> kick was wide in a direction. My heart breaks for Vikings fans across the nation. Uh, this is a team I thought, you know, with the, the, a lot of defensive pieces were back. They upgraded mm -hmm. the O-line. I thought maybe this team would be better than they were, but they dropped the ball again. 0-2. I don't know where they get the next win at. It's going to be it's gonna be tough to try and keep up, especially with the division right now. Where it sits, if you win that game, you're sitting tied for first with the Bears. Like, I mean, hats off to Arizona for continuing just these shootout mentalities. But Minnesota is a team that if they can't get a win soon, their team, I think, is going to be picking the top ten. And a lot, you'll see a lot of changes happening within the organization. Well, they have a lighter schedule coming up. They have Seattle at home. They have three home games in a row, actually. They have Seattle, Cleveland, and Detroit. All of those games, I think, are winnable for them. And I could just turn that right, right around. Seattle, last week, their defense did not look, this week did not look good against Tennessee. They did not. I think the one game that I think is truly winnable is Detroit, but by that point, you're already over. Four if yeah. things go south. I think they'll be 2-3 and three out of that stretch, but even that division of Green Bay wakes up and Chicago keeps around about 500 if Fields shows up, um, that could be uh, hard. That'd be difficult hard to shred for the Vikings. But another thing that surprised me, the Las Vegas Raiders are 2-0, much to my dismay yesterday. Yes. Derek Carr is at an MVP level. Consistent, great throws on third down. Against the Pittsburgh defense, and now has not one, not two, but five starters going to miss some time, most yeah. likely, which is not good for them. Coupled with the fact that this Pittsburgh offense needs 
something. It needs some rude awakening. I don't know if the alliance finally needs to mesh, but I am. We're seeing the end of Ben Roethlisberger, and it is frustrating as a fan to watch for me. But how do you th- feel about Najee? I think he's getting there. I think the O-line still needs a little work. I think that's part of it. Uh, his stiff arm he had yesterday. Oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> yeah. That's a man's move right there. But that's glad I see you guys' first career touchdown. I think once this O-line starts to mesh, you'll see his production go up a little mm-hmm. higher. But until the Pittsburgh can get the run game figured out, which they haven't for years, <laughs> they're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah. Juju looked really good, though. Of course, he looked good after I traded him in my fantasy league. Classic. Um, of course, he looked good. He had a touchdown over, like, seven receptions, something like that, and a full PPR in my league. So, of course, he's going to ball out like that. But it's all right. He did. But, boys, I have to ask you a question. Is there – in the AFC, is there a division more dysfunctional in the AFC South right now? Yeah, jeez. The, the Colts are 0-2, and if you change ways, if you change some of those red zone approaches on offense, you can probably win that game. Yo, yeah. Now Carson Wentz has an ankle injury that we don't know how long. Throwing Jacob Eason in there. Titans are 1-1. They rallied back to win against Seattle. Houston is 1-1, which is something I thought I would say. And then Jacksonville, well, let's not waste our breath here. Oh, my goodness. But I'm going to ask you guys right now. How many wins is it going to take a team to win that division? Because I think it's nine. If I, I, that I say about ten. I think, I, t- I I think would, Tennessee could pull ten. Yeah, I would I would trend right around that nine, ten area. I think Tennessee will find its footing. and I, th- I honestly think they'll probably beat up on that lower half of the division. I think they're probably 4-0 against Houston and Jacksonville. And that's four wins already. So I would trend towards probably 9 or 10. All right. I don't disagree with you guys there at all. Uh, since you're both Lions fans, I'll ask you before this game starts, what's your expectation going on in this one? Well, this is this is hard. This is just hard to think about because, you know, all the you know the conspiracy theories going around with Aaron Rodgers, he's, you know, trying to blow games on purpose, especially with last week's blowout to the Saints. You know, that's just tough, but I... I just don't see Aaron Rodgers just, you know, I think he's just going to just suck on purpose. He's just, you know, just so just he has no choice. He's just going to play the year out until he can leave, and then he'll just be the Aaron Rodgers that we knew from a couple years ago, just light light the stat sheet up wherever he goes next year. So for Detroit's case, they're going to get blown out in the first half, just like against the Niners last week, just put on that garbage yards and garbage touchdowns. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I still think that Aaron Rodgers is going to bring it tonight. Uh, I don't buy. I, I mean, I, I do think that there's uh, a, a heightened level of, of hatred for uh, the higher-ups in Green Bay, but I, I think that there's other issues within the team. Like, you know, you've got Devontae Adams, but then after him, you know, Aaron Jones, and then what? Um, and then the offensive line not having Bakhtiari. Um, so I think that, that he's going to play well tonight. I think the Lions are going to really get exposed. And, and like you said, Aaron, there's probably going to be some garbage time magic going on. They'll look good in the all-white uniforms at least. Uh, but I, I'm not expect my expectations are about 2 out of 10 right now. The way I look at this game, Detroit's walking on Lambeau Field with Green Bay needs to prove themselves. And when that happens, Lambeau turns into probably the most intimidating mm-hmm. uh, place to play a football game. Yes. I don't think a Dan Campbell Lions team will ever walk into a place intimidated. They will not. So I agree Green Bay wins this. But the spur right now is like, what, 11 and a half, 12 points? Yeah. Thereabouts. With that garbage time, they're going to lose that game by one possession. Like I mentioned back in the summer, I think the Lions are going to lead the league in one possession losses. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the way they seem like, they'll fight, they'll fight for 60 minutes. They'll fight, they'll bite up they your will. kneecaps and keep going and going. But, you know, I think Green Bay wins, but... I think it's my touchdown. So yeah, real quick, Mitch. Uh, now I'm gonna get into this a little bit, but what do you think about uh, Monday Night Football? Which which telecast are you gonna be watching tonight? Oh, Manning's, of course. Yeah, yeah. that was so entertaining to watch last week. Like, okay, first of all, to try and watch Peyton put on an almost size helmet. Oh was my goodness! Maybe the funniest thing I've seen okay. in a long time. Okay, first off, back back off my the best quarterback of all time. No, I'm just kidding. Brady's best quarterback of all time. Peyton oh, Manning is my favorite quarterback ever to play. Um, yeah, it's of course it's entertaining with Peyton Manning. It's it's Peyton Manning. He's just he's more of an entertainer now than you know I ever thought he could be when he came to Denver in 2013, um, stuff like that. I was hoping that he would still be playing <laughs> around this time, but with his injuries and stuff like that, so that was perfect for him to write off after Super Bowl 50. But 
It's it's funny. It's hilarious. Just like watching Peyton's place on ESPN Plus, you know that that's hilarious. His commercials have always been funny throughout his career. So yeah, he's you know he you know people thought you know maybe next commissioner of the NFL and an executive. Um, you know, with the way his Hall of Fame speech went in Canton this summer, people were like, oh, next commissioner. I don't see that. With him doing these Monday night roles, you know, TV, stuff like that. And Eli, Eli's funny too, just like his brother. And Cooper, if you guys watched College Bowl on NBC this past this summer, that was entertaining as well. Cooper was very entertaining, um, funny, sarcastic, just like, you know, all three of them are. So, so yeah, Peyton and Eli, I think this is... This is going to transform on how people want to watch Monday Night Football. Because for me, I don't want to watch a single regular broadcast of Monday Night Football for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think the, the thing is, though, too, with Peyton Eli, yes, you're entertaining, but also it is so educational in football, too. Like, yeah. like, the, like the one thing I love about the way ESPN does these approaches, like for college football, they have the coaches' film room, too, where they're bringing coaches from across the country talking mm-hmm. about what's going on in the game. It is a wonderful way to learn about the game from people who are smarter than you. Yeah. I absolutely love it, especially when talking about, you know, a Manning family that's going to have a third-generation quarterback in the next five Arch. years in the NFL or six years, whatever. With that set, with the center too, they have an, he's they have two, uh, Art Cooper's excuse me, Cooper's two sons are both in high school and one's a center, and obviously we have Arch as quarterback. That's so, incredible. But not only, for Newman, so. But but not only that, but you also have four Super Bowl rings between the two. Yeah. Like, it is probably the, it is the best way to watch and learn about football Monday nights. But let's transition now to college. Uh, we won't talk too much about the LSU-CMU game. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But what was the one game that you boys watched that you felt like really kind of moved the needle in the way that this season was going to go? Well, um, I didn't get a chance to watch too much football really over the weekend. Saturday I had a funeral. Sunday I had a wedding. Um, but, but just following along... Um, you know, you can't really take much away from Michigan's win, but Michigan State, man, they're legit. They're legit. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really drinking the Mel Tucker Kool-Aid when when he came in, but but now I have no choice. I mean, just the people he's brought in, he's completely changed that culture, and they really put a hurting on that Miami team, which I'm not a huge fan of, of Miami, but I... I think that Michigan State's back, man, and, and I think they show down uh, either on Halloween or maybe the night before. Uh, that's going to be a really good game. So I'm excited to watch it all play out. Man, my biggest takeaway is Michigan State is back. Aaron. You just you just literally said everything I was about to say. Uh, Michigan State, you know, Michigan State looks fantastic. I mean, you look at not only just the talent that you see on the field, but you look at the talent that they have coaching, you know, director of player player engagement. Shout out to Darren Harris. That's one of my uh, really good friends. So uh, he's been doing he's been doing a great job out there, um, in his new role, and just everybody in that organization for the fo- football aspect has been unbelievable since Mark D'Antonio has left. Yeah. Um, it took it was a little rocky to begin with with the Mel Tucker era, but now I think things are starting to really pick up. Peyton Thorne has been looking okay. Yeah. Not not great, but he's been looking okay. Not the level that we're Spartan fans are used to seeing of Connor Cook and Kirk Cousins in the past, stuff like that. But Walker, man, that guy could play. Yes, that guy he can. can run the ball. Just, you know, I could probably say better than Le'Veon Bell did when he was a Spartan. Yeah, that's fair. My big takeaway, Saturday night, white out, Penn State knocks off Auburn. That was a good one too. That was I, definitely um, good. Now with this game and the win at Wisconsin, I am I'm honestly sold on Penn State right yeah. now being the front runner in the Big Ten East. See, I don't know about that, but I think as of right now, you have to consider them. And, well, absolutely, but at the end of the day, the road goes through Columbus, and and I won't buy anybody as a contender until they beat Ohio State. It was, but the thing is, though, I feel like this is the year that I'll look at this more in my corner. But I feel this is the year the Big Ten East is wide open. No, oh, yeah, I feel I this is the year, that. and. What I've seen so far, yeah, Michigan's look good, but they beat Western Michigan and NIU, and they beat a Washington team that is down this year. Yeah. You look at, yep. Michi- you look at Michigan State, they've beaten Northwestern, Northwestern. I'll give them that. That's not easy to go to everything to win. You beat out, you beat the living snot out Youngstown State, and you beat a Miami team that, in my opinion, is overrated. Yeah. Let me see Michigan State when they get to the nitty-gritty. Let me see when they play the Michigan's, Penn State's, Ohio State's. Wisconsin, like, let me let me see them at that bulk of the schedule before I fully buy in on that. Right. Because I feel he could, but how are you going to hang around with the beef of the Big Ten? 
Well, you got a little bit of time for in your aspect to wait a little bit because they have Nebraska at home this week. Then they got Western Kentucky. Then they're at Rutgers, and then they're at Indiana, and then on Devils Night they have Michigan at home. It's gonna be sweet. My brother goes there. I'm working on getting a ticket. I Same. don't think it's gonna happen. We have a bye week for CMU, so right, they're gonna be expensive. Um, so I don't know if I'll, but I will definitely be in East Lansing. Um, at my brother's fraternity house, if if I can't score a ticket, um, and I, you know, being a Michigan fan, having to watch it with a bunch of state fans, it might get weird. Uh, but at the end of the day, everybody just wants to see a good game, and and that's what it's all about. So, I'll be down there, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But going back to your point, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I mean, Ohio State doesn't look like the Death Star anymore. Um, so it's just going to be fun to watch these games play out. And you know, the saddest in me knows that. You know, on Thanksgiving weekend, I'm going to watch uh, Michigan get taken to the woodshed and taken to the cleaners by Ohio State. And our dream, I mean, we'll probably be 11-0 at that point with my luck. Uh, but, no, man, it's just, it's just going to be really fun. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is one point I want to make right now. October 30th will be the make-or-break day for college football, especially in the Big Ten. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. Let's go. And also on top of that, the SEC East. I'm sorry, SEC East, Florida, Georgia. Oh, oh. wow! All three games wow. the same day. Tell me how that is not going to be an insane day for college football. Yes, the Buffalo Wild Wings are going to need to be on alert. The, la- the landscape of college football will be so different come Halloween. Oh my goodness! Yes, you're right. It's going to be an insane run. So, gentlemen, before we get too far, I have to ask you right now: What's your Big Ten title game prediction? Jeez. Iowa, Ohio State, guilty until or innocent until proven guilty. Hmm. So going to the big, just let's try to just look at it now in middle of September, towards the end of September. It's tough to look at. Um, I think, I really think Ohio State makes their push. I really do. I wouldn't be surprised if, if a dark horse like Iowa makes their way mm-hmm. around. Um. But I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan State is hanging in there to contend to get to Indianapolis, but not enough to get back there yet. Just maybe like a year or so out. So probably like like with you, Ohio State, just barely. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State gets there either. Yeah, for me, give me Iowa and Penn State. Give me where's that, that match in my veins. Where's that Ohio State Penn State game at? That is in Columbus. Oh, they've walked in there and hung tight. Yeah. So time to be determined on that one. Ooh. I think I think what'll happen is um, Michigan Michigan State will be Fox's big noon kickoff game. They like that, and then Columbus Penn State Ohio State will be the night on ABC uh, because you know with Fox and the Big Ten working hip to hip, one of those big games will be on at noon, which sucks, but that will be the big noon kickoff, like Oregon Ohio State was. I agree there, but it would not shock me one bit if, if what the games you said at time slots got flicked. Oh, yeah. It would not surprise me that when Penn State, Ohio State at noon, and then Michigan, Michigan State, because I think because of the rivalry between Michigan yeah. and Michigan State. and that would be sweet. I would love that if it was that way. If it put State, Michigan State in prime time, that would, that would actually be Mich- pretty cool. Michigan and Michigan State, one of the bigger rivalries in college football. Yeah. Yeah. But, all right, so transitioning, let's go to the corners. I'll take my – let's go to Mrs. Corner first. Can I stick my college football? I so very badly. I mentioned the Penn State Iowa Big Ten title game. I seriously feel that's a possibility. Like I okay. feel. And here's my point. Here's the biggest point I'm gonna make. Last, what, what was so unique about last year's college football as opposed to like players and their eligibility, Christian? What was so big about it? That they could get another year. So programs. So who do you think suffered more from that? Programs who lost a lot of players in the NFL draft, or players or teams who did not lose much to the draft. Well, I think that what you're going to have to rephrase your question is... Who did that hurt more? The, who did the, it hurt more? Who did it hurt more? The Blue Bloods, like the Clemsons, Ohio State, the Alabamas, or did it hurt like the B-tier that are not going to A-tier, the Penn States, the Michigan States, the Michigan Well, I think it hurt the A-tier because more guys left. That is, that I feel, is the biggest reason why Alabama-Florida was a two-point game on Saturday. Yeah. And it's the biggest reason why I think Ohio State takes two losses in the Big Ten this year. Please tell me one of them is Michigan. Here's Ohio State's stretches games. We know we know they have Penn State in the thirtieth, right? Yes. The week before that's Indiana. Yeah. 
the weekend, the weekend before Michigan, they're at Michigan State. Sorry, they're home against Michigan State at Michigan. Yes. If Ohio State cannot solve the issues they have, they are taking two ten, two losses in the Big Ten. They are not sniffing that talent. That's what we like to hear. Now, who comes out of the East? I think right now Penn State. I think Penn State's still the favorite. Like, yeah, I, I yeah, I would love to buy a Michigan the run game, but we know how that goes in Michigan in November. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan State, I don't, I don't think they have a true they have a true test until mm. a while, right? They Michigan State does not really have a true test until they hit Michigan. Maybe Nebraska on maybe Nebraska at home, but not really. Probably Michigan and then they got you know, maybe Purdue the following week and then the last two weeks of their season at Ohio State and home against Penn State. So what you're saying is, if, if Michigan State is just capitalizing on maybe softer opponents, we maybe there's a chance that it's more of an eight and four, nine and three year than like an eleven and one. We're going to win the Big Ten year. Yeah. That 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 that, that side of Michigan State is yet to be determined. I feel. So for me, I have a hard time buying it on that. I love his living crap on Old Tucker. I think he's done a great job. I think if Michigan State does run the table, USC is calling them. But. I love to see Penn State Iowa Big Ten title game. My college playoff because of this way every year, the schools I keep preaching this to my friends and family. The schools lost players in the NFL draft are hurting this year, as opposed to teams that didn't lose a whole lot. Like what? I don't think Michigan State had a kid drafted this year. Michigan nope. Michigan lost first time in like I don't know how many yeah. years they had that. So Michigan snapped. State brought back the entire team this year essentially. What's the transfers? Michigan lost a couple players. Quitty Quitty Pay. Quitty Pay. A couple pieces that weren't huge. Penn State lost Michael Parsons, a couple players, but I don't think they played a whole lot last year. These these teams that have been underneath Ohio State for so long are kind. Of, the seesaw is even now. They have a fat kid to match the fat kid. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna give my college football playoff prediction right now. Okay. Georgia one. Whoa. Oregon two. The winner of the Big Ten title game three, and number four would be Cincinnati or Alabama. If Cincinnati runs the table, it's done. But if Alabama and since you're both looking at one loss, it's Bama. Yes. Let's, let's face facts. Let's be really honest here. Do you think college football fans want to see a playoff without Alabama? I mean, I mean, personally, I do. Yeah, I think a lot of them do, but also it's, yeah. The committee won't. Yeah, the committee is the one, yeah. But it feels tradition, though, kind of, to have Alabama in that playoff. Exactly, that's the thing. It feels tradition, and that's and I'm a big fan of tradition, so I I want to see Bama back in that playoff. But the best part about this is the one-four matchup between Georgia and Alabama. The only way for Georgia to get to a tele game in 2021, you got to beat Bama twice in a row. That, yeah, no, that's a very good point. That matchup right there is what I want to see, because we saw how that tele game went in 17 or 18. It was 17 season, but they played in January 18. We just saw that went overtime. Tua came out from basically off the bench and did his thing. Yeah. If Georgia manages to beat, if Kirby Smart could beat Nick Saban twice in a row. Oh gosh, I, th- I think it's a power shift in the SEC. Yeah. Off that, especially Georgia wins the title, but that's we'll yet see. to be seen. So yeah, folks, buckle up. The main point I want to make is though, the blue bloods that lost a lot of kids in the draft are going to suffer. The teams that hung on to a lot, but have been knocking on the door for years, are going to have their chance. The parity in college football right now is as amazing as I think it's ever been in my lifetime. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is going to be go down, probably along with 07, the greatest college football season we see in a long, long time. I, I certainly hope so. so. I hope so as well. So that's my corner. Christian, you have the floor, sir. Yeah, I'm going to make mine quick. Um, I like, you know, I love entertainment. I'm an entertainment guy. And I think what ESPN is doing, and Aaron, you talked about this, uh, with their broadcasts and their, their diversity in terms of, okay, you want to watch this, you can go on this channel, you can watch this, you can go on this channel. And they have all these different telecasts centered around the same thing. I think it's revolutionary. I think it's great what they're doing. Um, and one of the reasons why I think they're going to be so successful is I don't think, like, I don't think Peyton, a lot of people think Peyton Manning is destined to be like the next John Gruden, the next color commentary guy on Monday Night Football. I just don't think that's going to happen. No. Because I think Peyton likes to be on the move. I think he likes to like. I think he likes doing Peyton's places. I think he likes doing what he's doing now. Because when you're a Monday Night Football guy, and this is basically just from what I've heard, it's you're in production meetings all week. It's... <laughs> You know, you're 8 to 5 every single day doing meetings, getting on phone calls, 
on the road traveling and like he can just do this from his home studio he can say like or go into the studio for one night a week and and be himself and be with Eli and guests and I mean you guys both watched it that fourth quarter with Russell Wilson last week was incredible I learned more football in that quarter than I ever did playing in high school I mean it was crazy <laughs> and that might be a little bit of an exaggeration but no it was just great I think that just to kind of cut to the chase, having things like this is is so nice. It's it's good to get uh, away from the stale, very cut and dry play by play, and I and I think it it certainly helps that not a lot of people are fans of the current Monday Night Football crew. I mean, Monday Night Football used to be it. like it, the spectacle with Tarico and, and Jaws and Gruden and all those guys. Like that used to be appointment television, and then when the, when Tarico left. And when Gruden left, it kind of became Booger uh, McFarlane. That yeah, one that ruined it for me. Yeah, but, no. And Joe, what what was it? Tessator. He ruined it for me. Yeah, he, that was just like, you know, that was the greatest one yard run in the history of Monday Night Football. That what? Stop! Just, I just I did not like him commentating it. Booger on the sideline. No. Yeah, on this little flying saucer. Yeah, no, it, it definitely. But now, but now it's almost like Monday Night Football is back. Because it is now kind of appointment yes. television. It's just not the traditional game. It's it's Peyton and Eli is now appointment television. And, and it'll be interesting to see how long they stick around. Um, I'm not sure that, like, you know what Pat McAfee did where he took it and kind of made his own media company. I'm not sure that's the road they're going to go down. So maybe this is a long-term thing. But I also wouldn't be surprised yeah. if, like, Peyton and Eli, or maybe even just one of them, goes off and kind of gets into that route. Maybe Maybe... My dream is that they partner with Pat McAfee and start like their own media company. Like oh twelve to God. three, you've got the Pat McAfee show. Three to six, you've got Peyton and Eli, and then obviously you've got football going on. And at that point, you could still do the alternate telecast. I mean, let's think about this, people. Let's think about the horizon of of, of what could be for um, for football telecasts and sports media in the future. And then not only that, but you start to generate more of that money, then you can throw some of that money at somebody like Amina Kimes or somebody like that and get them to join you because Mina Kimes is one of the best sports storytellers I've ever read. So I, I certainly just think that the, the future is very bright for Peyton and Eli, and I think that it's very uh, bright for sports television and sports media as well. Love to see it. Aaron, you have the floor, my sir, for the first time. All right. Use it wisely. So sitting here... Right now, this is probably I haven't had a bold take in quite a quite a while, but after watching what watching what I saw on Sunday, I truly believe that right now that Tom Brady is the number one quarterback in the National Football League because he's better than Patrick Mahomes right now because Mahomes sitting right now with six touchdowns and a pick. And he's projected to go forty-eight and eight on the year. Just see what ESPN has projected for Brady throwing seventy-two touchdowns, just absolutely shattering Peyton Manning's record of fifty-five from twenty thirteen. That would be unbelievable. I mean, that would be probably the greatest thing we've ever seen in the history of the National Football League. I would agree with that. Yep. Just that would be. I I still believe that nobody could be. I, I I think maybe Josh Allen, maybe Patrick Mahomes could break Peyton Manning's of fifty five, maybe with fifty six or fifty seven. But just seeing what ESPN has project 70, 72 touchdowns and sixteen interceptions for five hundred and ninety yards, just you know, just five hundred ninety yards, you know, stuff like that over five hundred ninety touchdowns for Brady's career, but putting seventy two touchdowns for his season for over 5,240 yards for the year projected at, at this point is, un, is unheard of. You know, we've seen Stafford do it. We've seen Peyton do it. We've seen Breeze do it, you know, stuff like that. But just if he, had, if he puts over 60 touchdowns this year at 44 years old, I really believe that he could play till he's 50. Well, yeah, and, and the big thing is, is, and I don't mean to cut into your time here, but um, the, the addition of the 17th game, it's and the help. schedule is, is going to help immensely, and I think that's why you're going to see some of these uh, stats get juiced up quite a bit. Uh, I think that, you know, I don't think anybody throws for 6,000 yards, 
But, I mean, 5,500 is not out of the question, I don't think. No, not at all, because they have Mahomes projected at 5,400 yards. Yeah. 48 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. But it's the fact that 72, that just be absurd. That, that would be unbelievable. You almost beat Peyton by almost 20 touchdowns. Yeah. At 44 years old. And Peyton did that when he was about 35-ish around that time. 35 years, 34, 35 years old in 2013 with Denver. And there's no question, in my opinion, that Tampa's going to repeat. There's no question. Yeah. They're going to repeat. It doesn't matter who they're going to play. I I could truly believe at this point that they are going to play Buffalo in the Super Bowl instead of Kansas City. Because I don't think – I think Kansas City will run out of – you know, they'll run out of steam – at the end of the regular season. I think fatigue is going to, you know, cost them at the end. Like you said, 17th game. It'll juice the stats up, but it might fatigue a team, you know, at its most critical time of the season. So, yeah, so Brady is, Brady is, you know, I even probably say Brady's going to win MVP this year at 44 years old and tie Peyton for five MVPs in a career. Don't disagree with that one. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I think that's very valid. Good point. So let's move to quick thoughts. Christian, what do you have for us this week? Okay, so first of all, obviously your um, your uh, annual uh, betting recap from the week. <sighs> Two for five. Wasn't a great week. I hit with Cleveland. I mean, sorry, I hit with Houston plus 11 and a half. I think I had that. And I hit with Denver minus six. I missed with the over on Cowboys and Chargers at 55. I missed with Cincinnati plus two and a half, and they lost by three. I was fuming over that one. Oof. And then I had Seattle minus a touchdown, and, well, we know how that one went. So, yep. I mean, it wasn't an awful week. I mean, with my spreadsheet stuff, I have about six wins against the spread and fifteen six or wins against 15 games. So, I mean, it's getting better, but I yeah. still got to fine-tune the strategies. Right, right. And then uh, staying in that same line of thought, the fantasy football update, how'd that go this week? Oh, uh, hanging in there. I uh, obviously the one league I told talked about last week. I didn't have Mahomes, Marquise Brown, and Travis Kelsey, you Nelson know, Tucker. So that helped. I think by the looks of it, I'm gonna take another four one week, maybe three and two. So uh, Aaron, how'd yours go this week? Uh there. <laughs> well, I'm you know I'm still up in the air uh, in one week, uh, one league, uh, waiting you know for Monday Night Football stuff like that. Uh, I got a guy going. He's got a he's got a guy going up by twenty. So hopefully I can win that one. Uh, other two leagues uh, won pretty comfortably. Uh, you know, I had Derrick Henry in, one, in two leagues. That helped very much. And I also had DeAndre Hopkins. Helped very much as well. Um, I was fuming with Joe Burrow with throwing three interceptions on three passes in a row until he threw two touchdowns late in that game. And one of them, T. Higgins, I had on my team as well. So a nice combo. Um May yeah, I start first week 0 and three lost all three all three games in all three all three leagues. Now this week hopefully flipping around three and zero so one and one across the board. And the final thought, sir. Uh yeah. So this is kind of a unique one, but I want to know what's the best college town you've ever gone to, or maybe where's the best where, where's the best college atmosphere that you've experienced um, in your time as a sports fan? I've been to a whole lot of college atmospheres in all honesty, so. It's hard for me to answer, obviously, because I've been there enough times. Ann Arbor's fun. Um, obviously, you can't beat CMU, in my personal opinion. No bias there at all. Uh, you know, when I traveled to cover games this past season, there were no fans, so it's hard to really yeah. get, catch a grip on that. I think this year we'll figure out on the Mac. But, you know, because of the lack of experiences in college atmospheres, I'd say CMU. Well, and then real quick, to piggyback off that best pro atmosphere. Aaron, if you have a good answer for this, you can go first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you know, not, obviously, Detroit has a unique atmosphere, especially when it comes to prime time. When they play on Sunday night or Monday night, it is a different atmosphere from when they're playing at a 1 o'clock game. It is very different, um, especially when I was you know about 15 and saw – Peyton and the Broncos, before they won their Super Bowl on Sunday Night Football in person, that was just a completely different atmosphere than what I saw. And then a couple of seasons ago, saw them get demolished by the Jets on Monday Night Football. The atmosphere was fantastic Until the first a- a- after that Quandre Diggs interception when he was still with the Lions. That pick six of 
that's pick six of Sam Darnold um, for his first throw of his career. And then just, you know, the electric, the electricity in that building was was awesome until it just went whoosh, gone. Just gone just about through half the second quarter. But I'd probably say, from what I've heard, um, is probably Green Bay. Probably Green Bay because that is just football. You know, that is just play football. Uh, Lambeau is just the oldest stadium in the country. And it's just it's just a bowl. You know, it's not industrial. It's just a bowl, old school, by college college benches and stuff like that. So they just upgraded a couple seat, seating uh, areas a few years ago. But that is, Green Bay is probably one of the best. And I would have, have to say just Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is one of those towns. I was there for training camp this past summer, not seeing a full game, but just seeing how many of their fans came out to at Heinz to watch their team practice is unbelievable. Just the town of Pittsburgh. They just, they know how to win. They're used to winning. They're in a little slump. Like you said earlier, the Steelers are in a little bit of a slump. But that team bleeds black and gold in that town with Steelers, Penguins, Pirates, you know, not the biggest Penguins guy in the world with the Red Wings and stuff like that. But Pittsburgh, definitely a really great football atmosphere in the NFL. So there's two that come to mind right now, and they're both baseball. One, I think it was that saying, Wrigley Field. Mm. A lot of the fans that you meet there know we game baseball very well. They have a very high baseball IQ. They call it the friendly confines for a reason. It's just a great place to go watch a ball game, relax, talk about baseball. Awesome. Wrigley Field has so much history to it, too. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one that you want to check out once in your lifetime. I've been to a couple games, both when they played the Reds. Uh, but one ballpark I love and I need to get back to. It changed the name this year, and I can't remember the new name of it. So I'm going to call by its old name. Miller Park in Milwaukee, by a mile. When that roof is closed on a primetime game, there is no other environment in baseball like it. Really? Hmm. I went, it was 2019. It was a day of the Wisconsin-CMU game. They played the Cubs. The Cubs couldn't win a game at home, and they were just reeling in the wildcard standings. Milwaukee was trying to fight to live in the playoffs. Christian Yelich won it off a walk-off double. Schwarber missed Mr. Grab, two outs. That place just went bananas. And these fans know how to have a good time. Like, you get there two hours before the game, they're tailgating, they're cooking up brats, some cheese curds, just slamming Miller Lights, deleting them like crazy. You actually get to take a beer with you from the walk over into the ballpark. Oh, really? And man, let me tell you, it's just, just fun of full traditions as only the Midwest can do it. Just like with the Packers. Exactly. It was kind of, tradition. Was yeah. kind of, was, the same Wisconsin knows how to have a good time at sporting events. I will give them that 100%. So, for me, it's Wrigley, and it's whatever the new name is for Miller Park. <laughs> All right. So, let's move on here to some rumors. I'm going to throw out a rumor in here that I've looked up online. Yeah. Buy or sell these rumors, all right? The rumor right now, number one. NFL coaches believe Urban Meyer will be one and done in Jacksonville. Gentlemen, is Urban Meyer out the door after this season in Jacksonville? Bye, 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 bye. Defend. Absolutely done for. Uh, because he's going to realize that he, he bit off more than he could chew. I mean, it's not about connecting with kids and helping kids feel comfortable and allowing them to play at their best at the NFL level. It's about dealing with egos and, and making contracts and this and that, and also I I just I don't think it's working, and I think that Jacksonville is going to get in panic mode because they don't want Trevor Lawrence to be ruined, and I think that ownership is going to make a a rash decision and get him out of there and and kind of sweep it under the log, rug and and oh no now fresh start yeah yeah problem is is that sometimes that doesn't work, um, so it'll be interesting to follow but I do I will buy that I'll buy that as well. Um... First of all, going making your transition from college to pro just so quick. You know, I know he took the year off and all that kind of stuff for his health, but making that transition, it most of the time doesn't work that well. We've seen it in the past with so many other teams. Some there's some rare cases that it works, but with Urban Meyer, like you said, it just it hasn't been clicking. You know, it with Lawrence, and we might be jumping the gun here a little bit after two weeks. You know, maybe yeah. and maybe in like four weeks, five weeks from now. You know, they might have turned the tide. We don't know that. We're not sure yet. That's why, you know, we do this. We just comment. We just talk about it. But, um, yeah, I'll buy I'll buy that. I wasn't – I back at training camp, I was very irritated with him after he got Tebow. 
I thought that was one of the dumbest things they, they could have done. Um, say what you want, but Tebow was, you know, what they said, he was a leader in that locker room. He has experience. He was, um, you know, he was built, as we saw it, those images and video. Yeah, he missed two blocks that went viral. Okay, you know, he didn't, in my opinion, he didn't get a chance. He didn't get a chance to try and catch the ball, try and run routes, you know, catch passes from Trevor Lawrence or Minshew at the time before he got traded to Philly and stuff like that. But, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, plus Tebow was his guy in Florida. So, you know, just Urban Meyer, I wouldn't be surprised if Jacksonville gets rid of him, you know, during the year. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that, going just, you know, get rid of him early and just let's just get ready for a new hire. I'm going to sell it, and it seems surprising. But, A, I don't think the Khan family brought him on board just for one year. And, B, I think we all realize what this would do to Urban Meyer's reputation, at least what's left of it. And I think a one and done in the NFL would just ruin anything he has left as a human being. I think for those purposes, I think he gets two years that he's done. Yeah. I could see that. Mm. But you pull it one and done, he had a felt like you had to have something really messed up happen. So I'm selling it. Would it surprise me if Urban stayed left after this year to go to a school in Southern California? I mean, no, it wouldn't surprise mm. me. <laughs> but is it likely? I think the Con, I think the Con family is dead set in seeing how this goes long term. Or else they wouldn't have brought him on probably on their yacht to top contract and I think if you know I mean Trevor Lawrence is adapting to the NFL level so is Urban Meyer if Ryan can figure it out with his offensive schemes with Trevor Lawrence like okay because yeah tri- yeah because Urban Meyer is also there's Larry Kruber everybody involved here Lawrence is Lawrence is learning how to throw in the NFL and Urban Meyer is still learning how to coach in the NFL mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think you can really say after one year like the Jaguars well get rid of them. I think if it does happen, Myers believing on them, it's not Jacksonville saying, okay, you're done, this isn't working. I think the cons are set on him long term. Or the Meyer is sold on the organization long term would be the issue. So for me, I sell that. Okay. Interesting. Number two, we all, as we talked earlier, before we recorded, Aaron mentioned the Giants have started 0-2 for fifth straight year now. And Zach Wilson looked not great. So far, so That's so. an understatement. Here's the rumor swirling right now. Here's the question number two: Is Jimmy Garoppolo New York bound? Let's let's think about it for a second. When you look with the Jets, you have a connection with Robert Sala. When you look at the Giants, it's Joe Judge. It's a Belichick guy. Belichick pled and pled to keep Jimmy G around before he went to San Francisco. So that would be a system fit. Is Jimmy G New York bound? Uh, I almost want to tackle this in two parts uh, because I'll sell him going to the Jets. Yeah, I agree with that. And, but uh, New York is a, or the Giants are a little more plausible because they have a nucleus of talent that is kind of entering that stage where if you're going to win, now's the time. Um, Saquon Barkley hasn't looked great since he's come back from that injury, uh, but they went out and they splurged on Kenny Galladay and and trying to really work in and get some nice pieces uh, around Daniel Jones. And if he's not working, I wouldn't be surprised, especially if that NFC East division is still within range. Um, so if nobody runs away with it and, and you get around the trade deadline, then I'll ab- yeah, I'll absolutely buy that because I think if they get close to you know the deadline and, and this is a winnable division, then you can get... Now, I think the trade deadline is what, like week six or eight? Where it's week eight. Week eight. I don't know if they moved it to week nine because of the extended schedule. But previous years, it was week eight. So, yeah, usually there's a lot that can change in that aspect. But I also think that, you know, the NFC East doesn't have that. You know, you mentioned earlier, Aaron, Washington. Um, I certainly think Dallas isn't going anywhere. But that's a division they could still compete in. And obviously with the... The wild card, you could try and get a chance at one of those as well. So I'll buy the Giants, but I'll sell the Jets. So Christian, if you could look up look up Jimmy G's contract while Aaron makes his point on the rumor. Aaron, I'm I'm exact, I'm in I'm in Christian's boat. I mean, I'll, kind of like this whole show, kind of just takes the words out of my mouth here before hey. I can get to it. Um, Jets, no, they are trying to build up like Trevor like Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville. They're trying to build up Zach, Zach Wilson. Granted, 
Wilson doesn't have necessarily the greatest talent in the world backing him up in New York. He doesn't have the greatest receivers, the greatest running backs at all. Um, tight ends, offensive line, his defense, that, that whole team is just, no. That's just They're just going to try and build through the draft and free agency, just get more talent around him. The Giants are interesting because the entire year and the entire preseason, everyone said, you know, could this be the, you know, this is the year, uh, you know, make or break for Daniel Jones. This is the make or break year. If he, you know, if he has a great season, he's going to continue with New York. If not, they're going to move on and try and get new talent in there. And like you said, and like you said, Christian, it's and they have a nucleus around there. You know, Barkley didn't look, doesn't look great so far. Galladay was just absolutely screaming at uh, Daniel Jones in Washington yeah. this past game. That I, you know, you know, when he was in Detroit, he didn't do that with Stafford, not at all. But I could, you know, for one, I heard Galladay is not a likable guy um, in the locker room. So, for the point of Garoppolo going to New York at some point of the season, it's definitely a possibility. So I will buy in on it, but I won't buy in buy in on it that much. Um, so I could possibly them seeing going out, going them going out there trying to get somebody else that's like, eh, maybe we could grab him. Maybe I don't know. But it'll be interesting because I don't see the Cowboys going anywhere in this division. Uh, Washington will win the division at what around 11 or so wins around there. Uh, Philly, New York, it all depends. Maybe they could, maybe the two of them will fight to get a wild card spot. If they get Garoppolo, I say they get that wild card spot in, okay. the, in the NFC if they get that. If not, maybe Philly will get it. Maybe because there's a lot of contenders in, in that NFC West division. So if I don't think if New York or Philly can you know rack up the wins, I think uh, one of those NFC West teams, granted it be the Cardinals, Seahawks, or the Rams, because I think the Rams will win that division, but maybe the Cardinals or Seahawks will grab that other wild card spot. So not going all the way in on Garoppolo going to New York, but I, I, could, I could kind of foresee it coming maybe a little bit. So what's the status with Jimmy G's contract? Okay, yeah, so what I've got here is he's got two years left. He's going to be UFA at tw- in 2023, unrestricted free agent. In 2023, at the age of 32, um, he's got $24 million, $24.1 million for this year, $24.2 for next year. Um, he's uh, His cap hit in 2021 is 26 Point three million. I'll round it up to twenty-seven point four, and then he's a twenty-seven million cap hit in twenty twenty-two. Um, he's twenty-six million, twenty-six point nine million in dead cap this year, but only one point four million dead cap next year. Yeah, I'm gonna sell for both teams. Um, part of me, if there's one year left on his contract, I would buy the Jets. I would buy it just solely because I think. Of the five first-round quarterbacks you had, I think there's two that didn't need probably a little more time to mature and adjust to NFL level and speed. Those were Trey Lance and Zach Wilson both. I think we're seeing with Zach Wilson what that's doing to him. Yeah. Because a big thing with these young quarterbacks, I don't think people realize, the most crucial aspect of, of a quarterback that has that much pressure to perform at a high level is their confidence. Confidence trumps everything in professional sports. If Zach Wilson's confidence gets shot after this year and they can't be prepared, like what do you do? What, what do you do with the Jets organization now? They have the number two overall pick. You won a couple games on an accident to yeah. lose out on Trevor Lawrence, which he might be like suffering the same fate. For being totally honest here, yeah, I think it speaks wonders about the Jets organization as a whole right now. Agree. But with the Giants, look, I don't think their issues are Daniel Jones. I think it's elsewhere. I think their O line, outside of Andrew Thomas and Shane Lemieux, is. A heaping bag of garbage. I think there's a reason why Saquon hasn't put up the numbers yet because it's not there for the run game, for the yeah. offensive line part. Defensively, they have some fun pieces, but the Giants' O-line is what's going to kill them right now. Jones has, I think, the talent, the IQ, and the ability to be a good quarterback in this league. But I don't think he's set up in the position to be that guy. So for those both, I'm going to sell. Though it's, although it's fun to think about. And finally, number three... We know about Jack Eichel. For those who aren't aware, has a neck issue. He wants out of Buffalo. The Sabres organization is basically the Cleveland Browns of the NFL before the Browns got good this last year. The walking, living, breathing dumpster fire. Yeah. So the rumor is Jack Eichel 
will play in Buffalo for the entire season in 2021-22. Oh, I'm going to buy that. I am going to buy it. Just because I think that, you know, like you mentioned, um, the organization is kind of like what Cleveland used to be in the NFL. And I think that, you know, the neck issue kind of drives his, his price down. And if you're Buffalo, you don't want to trade him for a bag of chips. So that's kind of kind of be that standoff situation. And who knows? I mean, you could see it one of those things where they make an agreement. I, I forget who, who recently did this. It was, oh, it was the Houston Rockets and John Wall where they made the agreement that he's not going to play. Um, but they're going to – he's going to be with the team until they, until they can find him in a trade. So maybe that's something you see like this. I just don't think a trade happens. I think that uh, that window of, of getting max return for him is kind of past, and um, I'm not sold on them making a move if they're not going to get uh, the asking price they want because at the end of the day, he's still a very good player. Christian, you are four for four at taking every point that I've had today. <laughs> um, this is the first time we've ever podcasted with him, by the way. You are four for four. You're just, you know, I'm not the, I know, I'm picking up on more hockey as I, you know, as, as the seasons go on and stuff like that. I pick, you know, hockey is not my, we, it, you know, hockey's not in my wheelhouse, but I do know, you know, certain players and certain organizations' reputations, and Buffalo is definitely one that does not have that much of a good reputation and or a winning culture. Um isn't any means so I I just I don't see him playing just like you said traits are in the NHL are hard to do let alone get the same value for you know usually in the NHL we see trades of you know player for you know picks and uh, you know picks for the next year's draft and the draft after that and the draft after that you know so we don't know the overall talent of those guys or who they're going to pick with those selections, you know, a year or two or three years down the line, so I could well, I could see him playing the entire season in Buffalo, um, and just you know, just see what his value is. Maybe when, once he hits the free agent market and stuff like that. So there's there's definitely going to be a team that goes along and picks him up for whatever he's whatever he's worth. But you know, whether it be a contender or not, you know, it'll be it'll just it'll be interesting to see. Um, I don't think he's selling expensive here in Buffalo. I think somebody finally coughs up the asking price. I think it's going to take probably two or three first rounders, a couple seconds, and a couple prospects going back. It's going to be a massive haul, but somebody's going to pay that price. Who's going to pay that price though? Um, I don't know, but someone, but someone will figure on the first month it's going to get that desperate. I feel Vegas is that team that's going to get desperate enough to pull the trigger. Because they've been lashing, because that is their big issue right now. They have no center depth at all. Nothing at center. They had, they had two good centers. They probably have two cups by now. Let's be totally honest. They're great at the wing, great defense, great at goaltending. Well, they were <laughs> until they traded Flurry. <laughs> I mean, they saw Robin Lander was more capable. But I, I like Lander. But uh, center has been just a massive, massive issue for them since day one, and. Maybe just throw everything you have left in the pot to go after Jack Eichel. I don't know, but I feel someone will pay that price. Possibility. Buffalo will get what they want eventually. And I think it's going to happen this season. Interesting. So that's where he's saying that. So, hey, Christian, you know what yeah. time it is? I do. Positive? Yep. 100% sure? Mm-hmm. We didn't do it last week. But ladies and gentlemen, so if you're at the top of the show, it's Ken Christian Hang. All right, so last week we gave you a free pass. Not bad last season, but this one... It's all about college football. Question real quick. Can I use Aaron as a phone of friend? On one question. On one yes. question. Okay. So don't look at my notes because I have the answers here. Question number one. Who is the only player to win two Heismans? The only player to win two Heismans. Uh, don't use it. <laughs> don't, use the, don't use your phone of friend yet. Not yet. I mean, it probably was somebody else a long time ago. Um... Because I can't think of any recently. Um, two Heismans. Oh, gosh. It's probably somebody super obscure. Um, but I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to say Bo Jackson. Is that your final yes. answer? It's a great guess, but it's incorrect. It is Archie Griffin from Ohio State. Did you know that? No, I did not. Okay. I did not. Good. <laughs> All right, question number two. 2013 Oliver. Great. Great. Yes. Go I imagine. Nothing tops the kick six, though. 
the one that added Aaron Ball. Who, 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 was the, who was the man of Auburn who ran 109 yards in the kick six? Well, for some reason, he wasn't playing first base for the Baltimore Orioles. It was Chris Davis. At your final answer? Yeah. Correct. Question number three. 2016, Texas Tech and Oklahoma. Mahomes versus Mayfield. Yeah. The absolute slugfest. A 66-59 to 59 final. How many, how, well, what was the total yardage for each team? Com- like combined? For each team. Oh, I have to nail the total yardage for each team. <sighs> okay. Um, I want to say it was like seven hundred and six fifty. Uh, Oklahoma was. Uh, we'll go. Okay, Oklahoma was six fifty-five. Texas Tech was. 602. Incorrect, and you're short. I'm short? Texas Tech finished with 854 yards. Oklahoma finished with... Oh. Oklahoma finished with 854 yards as well. Had the same oh. total. Same okay. yards total. Whoa! Man, I did not... That's a fun one, isn't I it? I was... I sold. So you ready for the bonus question? Okay. Yeah. I, I, my good friend Travis hit me up with this yesterday. Which NCAA Division I school has won a national championship with their last three coaches? Has won a national championship with their last three coaches? Yes. Um, I want to say it's LSU. I want to say it's LSU with, um, oh shoot, Nick Saban, Les Miles, and Ed Orgeron. I want to, I'm going to go LSU. Is that your final answer? Yes. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Producer Aaron, would you have gotten that one? I would not have gotten that one because it's college football trivia is probably probably one of the toughest to do because there's so many people that go in and out and only the biggest stars that land, like you know your Peyton Manning's, your Bows, um, Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Baker, stuff like they, those people stand out. Trying to really think about unless it's not your school, yeah, unless it's not your school or your state, yeah, it's it it, it can get difficult. So that one I would not have gotten. Right on. So that was, that was Karen Christian Hank, brought to you by uh, no one because we're still working on the sponsor thing. So the question of the week here to wrap things up. Um, the question of Richard had is, is mayonnaise an instrument? But no, obviously I'm just kidding you guys on that one. The question is, who's the first athlete you think of when you think of Detroit sports? For me, it's Steve Eisenman. Okay. Um, so I have one. I have two. Um, number one is Pavel Datsuk, but that's not as big for me because I was never really a hockey fan growing up. Um, so Justin Verlander is my answer. Um, he was kind of the guy. Um, wasn't my favorite player. That was Curtis Granderson uh, growing up for the Tigers. But it was it was about, you know, you knew every fifth day you were going to get a win. If You could go on a four-game losing streak, and you knew on that fifth day. And, it, and you know, sometimes it'd be... I remember my, you know, growing up, my dad would grill on Sundays in the summer. We'd get the grill out and we'd turn the game on. Justin Verlander would be pitching, and the Tigers would win four to nothing. It was just, it, it was recipe. It was a recipe for success, and that's how I grew up with those teams that were really good. You know, going and winning the pennant in '12, and uh, you know, losing in the ALCS to the Rangers the one year. Good but times. those teams were so good. And Justin Verlander was the force. He was the driving force behind those teams. And um, man, it was just even when they weren't weren't good, like in 08 and 09, you knew Verlander was going to go out and throw a gem every fifth day. So um, miss him, but we'll see him again soon. Wiz Khalifa, when I see you again in 2022, when he's pitching on opening day. For me, for me, growing up, um, I would say you just got inducted into the Hall of Fame would be Megatron because you as young kids as a young kid you know young kids as we were just growing up just seeing the way that Megatron would go out and just put up these monster numbers receiving make these incredible catches in triple or quadruple or even five guys covering them at once was Unbelievable to watch. Granted, it only got us to the playoffs twice, and we lost both of those games. Um, it, you know, and a couple of them, you know, just debatable on how the outcomes were with the Cowboys and Seahawks. And I can even throw in the Saints as well. 
Um, Saints one, we just got blown up. But Cowboys and Seahawks, those were definitely con- controversial. Um, but Megatron was just the definition of football. Him and Stafford together were just unbelievable to watch. And, you know, just even if the Lions are losing, you know, they were losing with maybe like a minute to go or something like that, and they have the ball, it's definitely a possibility that the Lions could definitely tie or win this game just because Calvin Johnson was on the field. Doesn't that matter if they had Golden Tate or, you know, Nate Burleson or anything like that? Just because of Calvin and Matthew Stafford's connection and their chemistry was just unbelievable to watch. And just if you talk about the entire city and the history of Detroit, would definitely be Barry. Because yeah. you see you see the Lions, you think Barry Sanders. 100%. You think of Barry Sanders or the Roaring Twenties, Barry Sanders, Billy Sims, Len Barney. Yeah. Those three. Barry Sanders and Billy Sims were absolutely unbelievable running backs. Obviously, you know, uh, Billy Sims won, won the Heisman in 79 with Oklahoma. Um, you know, Billy Sims was unbelievable. Uh, the way he kicked that, uh, I remember that one run, I watch it all the time. Uh, him, he kicked an Houston Oiler defender in the face like a karate kick. If you haven't seen that highlight, look it up. It's It's absurd. He also scored three touchdowns in his debut as a Lion. You know, for that's that's unbelievable for Billy Sims against, you know, the Rams were not that great back then. But, you know, just watching, you know, them transitioning from Billy Sims to Barry Sanders, watching Barry run was almost like watching Billy, but Barry did it with such, you know, physique and pizzazz and class. It was just yeah. a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, for me, it's Steve Eisman, but another guy that stands out, well, not much more of him as more as his hair. Ben Virginia Union, number three. Ben! Wallace! 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 The undrafted man, first undrafted player to go in the, hall, in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Just the way that like his style of play is basically what the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan really is. Yeah. Grind in your face, blue collar, bring your lunch pail because you're going to be sore after this one. Mm-hmm. Like, just physically beat you down. So many, four time defensive player of the year, if I remember correctly, before he left for Chicago and everything fell apart, it seems, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. But also, like, if you look at that, that championship business team, like, that changed the way the league operated for the yeah. past 15 years. Offense became yeah. so crucial. Like, he was like, like, Christian made the point last week about Dave Burkett saying, with Calvin Johnson. Like, you cannot discuss the game of football without Calvin Johnson. I feel to an extent you can't talk about the game of basketball in this generation without that 3 or 4 Pistons team stomping, beating the Lakers team in five, and also just that defense in general. That is debatable. That is debatable with the Pistons. That is very debatable. At least in my eyes. Very debatable because team down in Texas, San Antonio Spurs, just completely rewrote the books on how to play the game of basketball. But that's definitely another good debating point for another time. Definitely, 100%. But, but I agree with you with the the 4 Pistons. They looked like you know the older fans at the time saying, you know, this looks like our bad boys team. Just go to work. We're physical. We are just going to we are just going to play you so hard that you are just you're going even your best players are just just say like, "Wow, I absolutely felt like I got hit by a freight train." Just yeah. All right, so that's up the episode. Uh, should we get the big announcement, Christian? Yeah. So um, when I took over the sports editor role in April of 2021, I told myself that this is going to be a land of opportunity for everybody that comes through. When I came back in October 2020, we were thin. It was you, it was me, Christian, Austin Chastain, and Catherine Schultz. We had no, we had another person later, but now. Since everything's starting to come back to normal for now, we'll see what happens. We're starting to get more and more people involved with seeing life sports and seeing life in general. So, I after some discussion and some thought this past weekend, um, it has been great sadness to tell you that this is the final episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct for myself and Christian Boer. Uh, this decision, obviously, it's a hard one to make, but it's time for the future of Central Michigan Life Sports to take over. Uh, Christian and I had so much fun doing this, but it's time. Yeah. But we got some uh, some bigger fish to fry. Yeah, no, definitely. Real quick, uh, just um, you know, it's one of those times where you, you know you just you're growing up. 
<laughs> it's the next step. So been at this for a while now and it's good to see some other people get some opportunities. Absolutely. So uh all that said, let's step in away for last episode. Uh ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Aaron Gemmel is gonna be taking over main hosting roles for unsportsmanlike conduct for the foreseeable future. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you guys. It's a it's sad to see two just very bright minded sports guys like yourselves leave. And I feel like, you know, I feel like kind of getting like stabbed in, you know, stabbed in my heart because I'm like, oh my God, like, I, oh my God, I just, first show with you guys, I'm yeah. like, let's just keep riding, you know, just keep building the chemistry and stuff like that. But, you know, it's a business. It's a, you know, it's a business slant, you know, like they say in sports all the time, it's a business. Yeah. Um, you know, I am true. I truly, you know, I enjoyed this first one with you guys, just getting the flow with it. You know, kind of, kind of like you said, Christian. You guys are growing up, moving on. Mm-hmm. For me, growing, you know, it's growing up. I'm leaving my podcast that I've been doing for five years, and I'm stepping into these bigger roles yeah. at Central with unsportsmanlike conduct. You know, new, new Central and Sports Central. So saying goodbye to that show and going into here is kind of like you guys saying goodbye to this and going on to your next endeavors. Which I wish you guys all the best, and I know that we. We'll still, we'll still be really close. We'll still be in touch and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. I'm still your boss, technically, so we better be close. Oh yeah, 100 <laughs> right now. <laughs> Just not in this type oh, of, no. not in this type of environment, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the co-hosts, um, I'm still working the final details on that. You will get to meet them next week on on sportsmanlike conduct. Um, I'm thinking probably this trio and uh, chemistry I think works pretty well for this show, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, it does. It flows really. It flows really well. I think it really does. Um, you know, I picked it. I picked up so much of what you guys, what the flow of this show was, because the show that I'm coming from and I've produced and stuff like that. The house in charge of had a different flow. So, and I and I, you know, change. Sometimes people say change can be bad. Change should be good. I think this is going to be a really good change. I really, yeah. I, I really like this. I, I'm excited for the future and just to continue on sportsmanlike conduct and to fill. I have really big shoes to fill with you guys. Ah. I have really big shoes to fill in Slice with you. With you. Well, if, if that's the case, it's only a half a size then. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so, but it's been, it, it was just an honor to do this with you guys and just be introduced and just to take over and again, wish you guys the best moving on and just, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited and excited for the future. So there you have it, folks. That's Aaron Gemmel, the new host of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Again, you'll meet the new co-host next week. Still airing, still airing all those details. So for Aaron Gemmel, the last time for Christian Boer, I'm Mitch Vosberg. Keep it fresh, everybody. Keep your stick on the ice.